Welcome to the podcast Consultancy Elite. The podcast is hosted by M2 Advisory and presented by Marleen Somerhardjo. We engage with our lead consultants across the world, discussing business strategies, future solutions, macroeconomic developments, and personal beliefs. Dear everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast with my special guest today, Katja Fortsies, joining us all the way from Canada. Katja worked for many years as a CFO and recently started her entrepreneurial journey. With her broad range of experience working as a CFO, we connected to start exploring opportunities for an advisory board, whereas we can share our knowledge, experience and field of expertise. Katja advocates diversity and her expertise in training and implementing these assignments, making her a genius in her field of expertise. And diversity is obviously the topic that we will discuss today. The focus will be on her career and why diversity is so important to her and apply this to her work. Today's episode will be provocative, as I also think that diversity is still in the development phase in various sectors. So ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce my guest, Katja Fortsies. Hello, Katja. How are you? Hi, Marlene. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. You're so welcome. Welcome to our show. How are you? Great, great. We are coming out of lockdown here in Canada, so appreciative of the very small things, and as we said, and a haircut. You know, small small wonders make us feel fantastic. <laughs> you, you're, you're, if, if my audience could see you, but just all the, the whole the whole gradients is <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, thank you for being on my show. And can you please introduce yourself to my audience about your uh, background, your upbringing, your education? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a CFO by trade. Um, you know, came up as a chartered accountant. As we as we talked about, you know, my favorite compliment was I'd arrive out at a client's office, and you know, you know, I'm the auditor, and the look of confusion, you know, as a blue-eyed blonde young girl, you know, you never showed up to be their auditor, and you know, as we've talked about those stereotypes of what a finance executive is, and what a, you know, you ask a young child to draw you know, a picture of a, you know, a CFO or someone in finance, and even a young person, they will draw a stick figure of a man in a blue suit, right? So, um, yeah, a big part for me is, is breaking those stereotypes. Um, and that's part of why I chose accounting was picking something that's hard so that as a young woman, I could, I wanted letters behind my name so that I could be taken seriously. Um, you know, going back, I was actually born in Sweden. Um, so with a maiden name of Ericsson, you know, uh, that makes a bit more sense to go with Katya. Um, but, you know, we moved when I was a young child to South Africa, uh, grew up there. My mother's South African. And then, you know, uh, when times were uh, difficult during the period of apartheid, um, we left and relocated to Canada. So I finished school in Canada. Um, you know, high school and then went into university, but we had moved around so lo- so much that by then I was sort of looking for some stability and, you know, so went to university um, in Montreal at McGill and really, you know, didn't know, didn't know what to choose in school. Um, and even though I'd been really good in the sciences and I look back now and go, oh, like all that encouragement we talk about for young women in STEM now, like, well, I didn't have that. The only comments I remember were, Oh, like what's that blonde girl doing on stage, you know, with all the boys getting a math prize, right? Like seriously, I can remember that. And and now I'm sort of, as an adult, I'm sort of infuriated because if that was the attitude towards my daughter, I would like be crazy, right? But, you know, so when I went into to schooling, it was, you know, okay, not arts. You know, I, I for me, that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. Um, 
to me, science wasn't encouraged, uh, which is crazy because my father has a, you know, a PhD in biophysics. I mean, there's no lack of shortage, but it was just still back in, even though we were equal, I say in air quotes, um, science just wasn't as encouraged, right? And we still see that big gap in STEM. So I ended up in business um, and graduated with a degree in finance, but still, I thought I'd be an expert in something by the time I was finished university and I did not feel like an expert in anything. And so honestly, I think the main reason I did my, you know, became a chartered accountant was because I heard it was really hard, <laughs> which is, which is sort of a ludicrous reason to, you know, take something. But again, with all those stereotypes, I mean, I had the very first nickname I remember from a teacher in elementary school was, was DB and it was a joke, but DB stood for dumb blonde. Like I was 12. <laughs> so, you know, and I knew it wasn't, and I knew he knew how he was smart and that he was like, it was a joke, but it was already alluding to those stereotypes that, that exist based on how we look. Right. And, um, you know, and I don't, there wasn't nearly as much awareness of those issues. And so when I graduated from university, um, we were already at equality, you know, um, in terms of numbers of women graduating. Um, so I thought all I had to do was, you know, work really hard. And I didn't care if I had to work twice as hard, but I thought if I just worked as hard, showed performance, you know, then that was all that was needed. Like I was so, um, maybe, you know, ignorance was bliss at the time, right? I was just so woefully unaware of the bias um, that I would face as I started my career, um, assuming that all I had to do was just, you know, do the work, <laughs> right? Yeah. So. To me, it's funny that you mentioned though, because now nowadays you see that more women are graduating from universities. Still, that is not reflected within the work environment. So that is yeah. so. That's to me is is an interesting development, and and just what is what is happening apart from all the structural point of view and all the all the all the other uh, developments that you see around it. But if you would just look at it from the point of view, why is diversity not really implemented? Is how everyone. Uh, advocates about it. There, there, there are many other elements that you can tell more and can tell my audience more about it. But we all know that it definitely does does not have to do with the quality or the quantity of women representing themselves in, in business. It all has to do with how we're being perceived within business. Yeah, I mean the the comment that I remember hearing the most when I was, you know, I, I worked my way up. I mean, you know, and I remember when I was you know, got my first, I was a young, you know, vice president, I was in my early 30s, you know, thinking, okay, I've made it, you know, and it was interesting, I thought once I made it to the executive level, that I had made it, <laughs> which is like, you know, having no idea that, you know, that's really where you start to see and face the whole, you know, the, the, the glass ceiling, in the sense of I remember, you know, I had a supportive boss, which, you know, at the time to get me that first promotion. And I remember, so he would tell me things people said, you know, and a lot of the other, you know, the peers at that level would say to him, like, how do you work with someone who's so aggressive? And I was mystified because I was like, but I, and I knew the guys and, you know, and they were good guys that I worked with. And so I remember being confused because I thought, but I don't, I'm not any different than you guys. And I would look at their behaviors in meetings and look at mine and look on projects. And I'm like, but, you know, all the work I'm doing is what's considered good leadership. I'm driving my projects. I'm getting stuff done. I'm following up where it's needed. 
Um, you know, I'm not taking no for an answer. How is this? And then it finally dawned on me that it's because they weren't comparing me to themselves. They were comparing me to the women they knew in their lives or their expectations. So they were comparing me to sisters, wives, mothers, or the receptionist. Because when I was in that organization, I was the only woman in the office at that time um, who wasn't somebody's secretary. And that's when I went, oh, well, yeah, if you're comparing me to those stereotypes of what you expect of a woman in a supporting role, I guess I don't match. And I also realized, I was like, well, that's your problem because I have no intention of, of sticking in that stereotypical box. But I started to understand that, you know, we don't control other people's perceptions of us. Um, but that becomes a really big challenge when we're left to deal with, you know, there's the whole, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, you know, it's that double bind theory of, well, women are seen as leaders or as likable but very rarely as both, right? So, you know, if you, if you take care and you're sort of supportive in that women take care, men take charge, right? So if you take care, so if you're a senior executive in more of a supportive role, HR is the perfect example. I mean, it's a super important function, but it lines up with the stereotype of, oh yes, like you're here to take care of the people. But if you're in a, math-based, numerical leadership field like we are in finance, um, all of those are going against you, right? And I can remember being in meetings where I would, you know, offer up an idea, you know, someone goes, oh, that's nice, it moves on. And maybe five or 10 minutes later, you know, my boss or, or, you know, another man at the table would say pretty much the exact same thing. And it was like, you know, Moses had come down from the mountain with the tablets, and like, you know, and was like, just the, the, and I was just like, what? Like, I just said that five minutes ago and it was totally blown off. And those were the moments that were very frustrating, um, you know, to deal with, um, particularly because I didn't have an instruction guide to prepare me. I had to learn all of that. I didn't have women ahead of me. I was working in a very male dominated industry. Um, and that's also a lot of why I'm doing what I'm doing now, because you know, our attitude shifting, yes, not fast enough, but they are. We're at least having the conversations. But, you know, if I was at least prepared with a roadmap, then I could have also been educating others on what bias looks like and how it works and understanding that it wasn't something I was doing wrong, right? And that it wasn't all my own battle to fight. Um, that in fact, that I, you know, should, you know, could have and should have been pushing for more institutional support around what normal behavior looked like, regardless of what color we are, what gender we are, or any other labels that have nothing to do with our finance skills or whatever our professional skills are. But yeah, a lot of that is still alive and well, unfortunately, and that's, that's why we need to talk about it, right? Yeah. We do need to talk about it, and I really love how you created this this uh, this this training around this. How you educate people on this because I I, I do have the same. You just you don't have this. You don't have the role model. You're all by yourself. I'm quite often also the only female in the boardroom, and then just being there, presenting yourself as being, and not, not even thinking about because you're you're there to deliver. You're there to deliver your results, and and not being and not 
well, taking all these, these, these comments into, into consideration because it doesn't matter, I need to perform. So I just listen yeah. to it and think, okay, oh, lovely, hi. Uh, or I would say, oh, will you take the notes? Why should I take the notes? My secretary is, is in the room, it, it can take my notes. So the, this is yeah. the whole, and th those, are the, the, those are just people who say, they will call you, for example, aggressive. They will call me also uh, like I have a thick skin or a Teflon uh, suit on, true. Because it doesn't matter, you need to perform. And that was yeah. always what I had in mind. I thought that that was needed to be successful. I thought that it was needed to be a good leader, just to perform and deliver what you're saying and not be, not taking personal what everyone's think about it. But on the other hand, I think we still need to have create this awareness that it is not okay that people perceive you like this. You yeah. need to be judged about upon your talents and what you what, what the skills are and also according to your graduation. You haven't finished school or haven't finished a university for some reason. You did it because you're good at it. Yeah. And that is what needs to be taken into consideration. So please tell no, me, no, sorry, you, you mentioned that you felt like an outcast. I had the same, but tell me, how you, how did you de dealt with that during your uh, beautiful career? Um, you know, I think you just said it. It's, it's having that thick skin um, that maybe now later on I'm having, you know, it's actually now it's learning to let go of some of that thick skin because you had to. You know, in every situation, um, I didn't know whether I was going to be supported. Uh, sometimes someone's going to be overly aggressive. You know, sometimes, so men will use different behaviors. Sometimes it's paternalistic. Sometimes it's almost like, now, now, dear, like that's, that's nice. Or I'm here to protect you, you know, or shield you. I remember, you know, coming, I was brand new into a new um, finance job. We had just done, a mer you know, an acquisition. So flew out with the team, you know, we arrive in this boardroom, you know, there's like 40, you know, 40 people around the boardroom. And I think there's maybe like, you know, two women, you know, one of two women at a table. No, I don't care. I'm going to act like I am just a professional at the table. And in the first, you know, 10 minutes, um, and again, it was a very male dominated industry. So, so someone, you know, at the table swears, and then what do they do? They turn, you know, look at me and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, like, like my poor little delicate ears have never heard that word before. And, but it's those kinds of things that are almost even more mortifying. It's not that people are, you know, coming on attack for you. It's that, oh, we want to be gentlemen and protect you, right? Or I think, you know, the, and then there's the other spectrum. You know, there's such a wide variety. You don't know what you're going to expect, right? I walked into um, uh, the office, um, you know, of an SVP of, of manufacturing. He was, you know, I was still junior in my career. I think I was a director of finance, you know, and, and he was new to the organization and it was going to be my job to be a business partner and support his division. So I'm there to build relationship. Now, this man had to be at least, you know, six foot five, like 300 pounds, like ex-Olympian, literally. Um, but I'm like, that's fine. Like, it doesn't matter, right? I've got my Teflon on. I walk in in my suit and I'm just looking to make conversation. And he had some books on his shelf. And I'm like, so, you know, I, I see you've got some interesting books here. Like, which of these would you recommend? I mean, just some vanilla conversation to start, right? And what does he say to me? And I still remember it to this day because I was so, I just didn't know what to say. And I'm going to, you know, he's like, I'm going to do it in an accent. Katya, why are you reading these business books? You should be at home reading the Kama Sutra with your husband. Yeah. 
And I am just like, like, like jaw to the floor going, oh, like, oh my God, like, what do I do now? Right. Because if someone did that to me now at this stage in life, I would like to believe that I'd probably have a good bunch of, you know, one liners to come back and go like, really? Like in what world is that acceptable to speak to me that way? Right. But I was like, I don't know, 32, 33, like, you know, trying to do my job, trying to be taken seriously. And this man who was multiple levels above me, way more senior than me. Um, so, you know, first it was just laugh it off, brush it off, pretend it didn't happen. Because I also, the crazy part was I knew my company would take it seriously. It wasn't that I, because our company wasn't like that. Like we, they'd done a lot to sort of clean it up and make it professional. Um, but I also knew that if I said something about it, it would, it would make significant waves, right? Like, I don't want to do, I don't want to derail your career. I don't want to have, I don't want to be the woman who then ruined your career. Like there's just so much, I just, but I just wanted it to stop. I just want, so I was like, oh, I'll just ignore it. Like, never mind. But it, but it's sort of, you know, it would just carry on these comments that made me, reminded me I was a woman in a place I didn't belong. And that was, that was, you know, look, there's women who's faced far worse than that. Um, but yeah, you always had to have your guard up because like, you know, me being collegial with you can be interpreted in the wrong way. I would have to drop my husband, this, my husband, that into conversations left and right, you know, cause people are calling you or, ch- you know, trying to chat and you're like, you're being overly friendly. Yeah, really? Yeah. No. What are you doing later? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be with my husband, like having dinner, like, you know, and we shouldn't have to. Even when I travel, I'd have to like, I'd be sitting at an airport alone and I'd have to like drop my husband's name. And like, we have to create these shields around us. Um, and those barriers can then have impact in the kind of networking and mentoring and relationship building that we need to have successful careers, right? So it's a, it's an, I'd say not, it's an almost impossible, it's an impossible tightrope, you know, like tightrope to try and balance walking on between networking and building relationships without either being perceived um you know or accused of sleeping your way to the top right that's also true because that is so thin balance in this and and i i also have i just encounter multiple occasions that men just really will not let me just i let me just put it like this i thought that they were not not harming you saying things like oh should you not wear this dress or oh uh, this dress looks very uh-huh. nice, very fitted things like that uh-huh so uh, quite in yeah, that, yeah. And, and just it just tries exactly. because it's like you said you're not you're not at would, would like to try to ruin someone but on the other hand you're so outraged that you would really would like to take out his eye yeah Oh, well, yeah. you work, yeah, you work so hard to be taken seriously that when, when people's opening line, you know, it, um, even online, hey, beautiful. And it's like, you know, in my house, like with my, you know, I set a rule with my daughter when she was very young, because I noticed that everyone's first comment. Now my daughter's, you know, I have two boys for my daughter. You know, I was raising boys. Nobody started with high handsome every time they met my sons, right? But the minute they saw my daughter, oh, hi, she's so cute. She's so beautiful. She's so pretty. Like we are conditioned that it's acceptable to have the opening lines about, about women be about how we look. Right. And so I started when my daughter was very young and it was, and I made it very clear to anyone around. It's like, we, we don't like the first thing we say is not about how she looks. 
Like, and even when it comes to wishing happy birthday, you know, anything, I will, we all, we all, you know, those habits are there, they're ingrained, right? But it's like, I will not comment on how a woman looks um, on social media for your birth, like for anything, because it's like, we are, you know, um, we have to change that mindset that it's like, um, that A, that's the first topic, that that's what, that's what creates our value is how we show up and how we look, right? That it's okay to talk about our looks to, you know, I remember when I was pregnant and it's like, people think it's okay to come up and touch your belly. Like, like those kinds of things where again, we're raised to be polite and to not be rude. And so I think too many of those things are like, oh, just, just smile, smile on the outside and cringe on the inside. Right. And so, yeah, trying to change that for my daughter. Right. And it's like, yeah, no, like, Nobody gets to touch you without your permission. And most importantly, we don't need to talk about how you look every day, right? Your value is in what you do, how you treat people. Um, and I think we need, we need more of that, right? Because even on social media, what's the fastest way um, to get likes? But I'm like, man, that'll, you know, I, I could have viral posts very easily if I chose to post different, and, and look, to each his own right? To each his and her own, like each person has to choose for themselves. Um, I've spent my entire career working to be taken seriously. Um, but it certainly is, is still in a massive challenge in a world that for men and women focuses so much on the superficial, right? Yes, it's, it's like you said, it's, it starts with the mindset that we need to create. And we also need to build this mindset within corporate world. Just yeah. uh, having, if, if your goal is have equality within um, and within yeah. decisions, within men, it just it starts with how do you perceive, and it's just then the next step because the diversity people start thinking diversity is we have equal men and work, men, women working. Well, that is not diversity. Diversity is embracing the the, the different talents that people have. I noticed, for yeah. example, with KPMG, it was like the, everyone looks the same, talk the same, had the same background, and then they saw me as their diversity experiment. Um, but it was definitely not ref the, the reflection within from the society. So we really need to just take diversity to a next level. Yes, have equal women and, and men working and then embracing everyone's talent. We have this baseline that we have equal men and women working. Then uh, and suddenly still they had the perception of, no, she's too likable or she's this, she's that. But that is just how the feminine energy works. And that is what you need to accept in this. So we really have this, this, this mindset that we need, need to change in this. And I would like you to tell my audience a little bit how you start with changing this mindset. Just, you already said you started with your daughter, but how do you do it also in work? Well, I think also educating people. The interesting part for me was, you know, again, everyone's perception of what, you know, even the feminine energy. Well, I don't even fall into that category. And I think the part I struggled with, I genuinely, you know, probably, you know, if you if you didn't, if you knew all of my li likes and dislikes and how I behave, but you just didn't have a picture of me, you would conclude I was a guy. <laughs> I, I'm the one when I walk in the door where I'll be like, so uh, what happened today? Like, I'm very matter of fact to the point, and I've had to learn and don't get me wrong. My husband's like, you know, you know, we, we, we break those stereotypes. I mean, he's a very manly man, but if I come in asking, Hey, did you do this today? Hey, did you do that? Like if I'm too fast to the point, 
he's like he he gets offended like he's like you know why are you bothering me like like sit down talk to me first nicely and i'm like i just i just want to get i just want to get like the stuff we got to get done out of the way right like so i find that the very the more stereotypical you know male behaviors i i do lots of them right um i was watching the british grand prix on the weekend like i love f1 racing i watch baseball like i um you know i i i love sports um so you know these stereotypes i mean i cook because i have to because people need to eat but i like i have no interest in cooking um you know and there are so many so that's why the stereotypes have always annoyed me because i'm like like we all are a, a subset of different behaviors so yes i have the gift of the gab so if you say women are more talkative and you know yeah yeah my husband goes in his cave and doesn't want to talk when he's upset so you know there's some of those stereotypes are based on actual behaviors that some of us do and many aren't so i think because of my own experience and knowing that i don't fit in a lot of the stereotype boxes then i try and educate and share on that right so sometimes just for sheer amusement like i'll talk sports like a guy and just watch people's confused faces you know um I because i learned same. in my yeah like <laughs> i learned a career that you know that talking sports was actually a great way to connect you know as a very safe way to connect with the men i worked with and to join in sort of the monday morning dialogue of oh yeah you know in canada it's got to be hockey you know to see that goal oh yeah like top you know top shelf da, 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 da. you know i've been married for like a long time with a husband who's in sports like i know how to talk sports right and i enjoy it so i think i broke their stereotypes by just showing people yeah i i like things that you don't expect me to like you know based on how i look um or the fact that i have children um you know the hardest part was was i thought i was this equal professional my husband and i got married we both had careers were working and it things felt very equal and then we had our first child and for me everything changed because now i had the box of mother you know in the title no one ever wanted to ask about my career or how things were progressing like it just that i it ceased to exist because i was a mother and i found that so frustrating because of course i love my kids and of course you know but it's not the only thing in life i want to talk about and no one ever asked my husband how things were going as a dad and for me that was just you know monumentally unfair um and even the tasks sometimes i'd say to my it was always you stay and watch the children like i'll go do x y and z and finally one day i was like no you stay and watch the children and i think it was even like a gardening job i will go lift the rocks outside in the garden and he looked at me like i was mad and i'm like i'd rather lift rocks <laughs> than than sit here you know and watch the kids for the afternoon again and again and again right more in the sense of you know we each have equal skills and abilities don't always put me on the sidelines or in the same box like you know you can watch kids just as well as i can right and so that's that's how our you know marriage has been modeled but you sort of have to fight for it and yeah you have to deal with the perceptions i would stay late at work and i'd get questions like well who's home with the baby and i'm like my child has two parents like that's you know <laughs> we take turns like that's how it works but and i know women are still facing that today so i think you have to you know you have to accept that you can't you know you can't make everyone happy um but yeah i have you know three well adjusted you know 
well-raised children. Um, I'm still married and I've had a successful career. So is it easy? Of course not. Um, and it requires choices along, but you know, I've managed to raise three kids. You know, I've had a successful career. I'm still married and I didn't leave my corporate career because I was stressed and exhausted and overwhelmed. Um, I left my career because I was bored. Uh, you know, the lack of, you know, future opportunities and show people that you can do it all. Just, it needs to be your version of all, you know, I did not participate, uh, you know, in every last activity at school um, and all the bake sales and volunteering, you know, morning, noon and night, because that wasn't me. That wasn't my thing, not because it shouldn't be done if that's your thing. Um, but it's having to put aside people's perceptions of what you should be doing versus what you want to be doing and what works for your own family. Um, you know, keep your own sanity, you know, and balance your own kind of priorities and successes. That's a very good one to mention. I think there are two parts in this. You have diversity taken from an organizational point of view, but you have also, you have your own responsibility in this. And it's just very good just seeing as being, as you have chosen for your career, that it's not, uh, that you need to choose quite clearly whether it's a career on your, on your private life in this. And it cannot be the both. Otherwise you will just not, um, you will not feel happy. And from that perspective on, you cannot make your career and lift your career up to the next level. So Katja, I was wondering, uh, what, are, what have you learned the most during your uh, career and what were your biggest learning points that you would like to give my audience uh, and share with them? Oh boy. Um, for me personally, it was really act, it was really about learning to take care of my own health. That we're really, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think because, you know, of being the first woman, you know, or, you know, in, at the senior levels, when I was kind of coming up, I felt all this pressure at work to show that women could do everything and more that men could do at work. But then when I was at home raising my kids, I felt all this pressure to prove that just because I was a working woman didn't mean my kids were going to suffer. So to me, I had to be, I was trying to be a superhero at work. Everything had to be perfect. And I was trying to be the superhero at home for my kids. Everything had to be perfect. And that sandwiched me in the middle. And the only way you can do that, it was like very little sleep, you know, stress, not eating properly, no exercise. Um, and 10 years of that. Um, you know, really had its toll on my health. And, you know, basically I ended up with chronic illness at 35. And so, you know, the message is that I spent so much time trying to prove to everybody that, you know, you could be a good mother and have a successful career. And I had to learn to take care of myself in the equation and that I didn't have to be perfect everywhere all the time and learning to make the choices of what was important so for me, it was, I need to be there at the important times for my kids, not though the perception of what someone else thinks doesn't matter. Um, and I had to do the important things at work, but it didn't all have to be perfect. And really finding that right balance that left some time and space for myself um, and investing because I had to then rebuild my health and learn to exercise and de-stress. Like people used to ask me if I was, I was like, I'm not stressed. What are you talking about? And I came to realize that I was living in such a permanent level of sort of hyper, hyper drive achievement. I didn't even understand. Like there was no off button. It was just go, go, go permanently on, you know, 20 hours a day. Um, that takes a toll. And I really want, you know, I want the next generation to be able to successfully 
you know, have a life, you know, you know, be parents if they want to be, you know, whatever your definition of, of personal life is. Um, it's, it's being able to be successful at work, but have a life outside of work and recognizing that we've only got one body. Um, and so now I'm, I'm sort of militant at protecting my own health, um, but also then choosing those important, impactful things um, where I think I can make a difference. Um, I can't play, I, I can't, you know, I can't join in and drive every last initiative, but showing up where it's important um, and finding that, you know, balance is a very elusive word, but for me, it's an important one um, to understand that uh, if I don't have my health, I can't do any of the things I want to do. It's taken me a long time to learn that one. Well, that's a very beautiful message that you're giving to my audience. And it just really makes me come to my final last question in this. So talking about, you mentioned that you just came out from <clears throat> notifying that you really need to take better care of yourself and, and just turn this into showing people uh, how you can have a better life if you balance this better. So how would you like to be remembered like in, in life? Mm. Um, that I made it easier and better for the people who came after me. Right. Whether it's, you know, for my own daughter, but for all, um, you know, the next generation of women, I think, you know, being first in any space is hard. And you see that when we celebrate them. Um, but I'd like to get to a point where where we don't where we don't put, you know, female or, you know, what your ethnicity is or, you know, that we don't need first gay athlete first that we don't even talk about it anymore because it becomes so normal. Right. That's. Um, and I hope I, I would like to be remembered hopefully one day as maybe someone who helped move the needle um, in that regard and, you know, created a new version of normal, you know, for the next generation, you know, for the next generation of women, whatever we look like, whatever we want to accomplish, that people just think it. Yeah. OK, go for it. Your dreams don't seem unreasonable. Right. And I hope any woman listening, whatever it is you want to go after, nothing's unreasonable. Like if it makes sense to you, go for it. You know, I'm a 50-year-old CFO who makes fitness videos on LinkedIn when I'm not creating training programs. Like, why? Because those are the things that interest me. Like, it makes no sense. Um, you know, there's no recipe of, of uh, you know, that you have to follow of someone else's definition of what makes sense, right? And so, I, and I think that's the benefit of age is you get to a point where you care less about what other people think and just go, this is what I like. And I'm sure there's someone else in the world who, who needs to hear this and you just get on with it. Yes, that's so true and so beautifully said. I just would like to thank you for this wonderful and lovely conversation. And hopefully we can meet soon when we can travel again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that will be lovely. But for now, thank you and I look forward to see you again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. Take thank care. You. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast Consultancy Elite. For information, follow us at m2advisory.nl and Instagram at m2advisory. Send us an email or DM for further assistance.
is being baseline. So yeah. taking that to a next level, you need to cross pollinate, you need to rethink yeah. and also regroup and work together. Yeah, exactly. And I think just, uh, just you know, we've reflected about the immediate impact of COVID in terms of like, look at quickly, uh, say like the vaccinations and I suppose uh, uh, the tracking of how, you know, when it blew up to like, you know, it's quite fast given the extent of how fast it spreads, but the reasons why uh, sort of the vaccination program has gone so quickly across organizations and how different countries have uh, tracked where it's spreading and to mitigate it is through data and sharing data in terms of, you know, uh, where is it spreading? Who's got it? Where did it come from? And then with, you know, with the, with the vaccine, all the tests, all the results, uh, open universities and uh, companies sharing that data in terms of what's working, what's not working for the greater good. I think that's where, I know on the, on the EDM Council, we like to have this motto, like, you know, data for good. So it's basically helping different organisations uh, share data and work with data for good causes, whether it be like for, you know, disease prevention and med, uh, management, climate change and ASG, uh, as Paul mentioned, uh, or like anti-money laundering that we're doing today in the lab with Google and Microsoft and uh, various other banks. So I think that's where I think looking at the more you can share, not just the data, but sharing how you're using the data, the better the solutions and again, the business value that we talk about and community value are going to be. So uh, there's no there's no secrets regarding my solution better than yours. It's about, okay, you've learned something, share that pattern or share that uh, that approach with data rather than having this in the past, this competitive advantage that, oh, I can't share it because it'll be copied. So again, like like today, being open and also sharing your experience so others can use learn from that to uh, to advance forward rather than, um, you know, in just like in companies, I've seen them make the same mistakes to the data journey. And this is where I share a lot of it on my, in my LinkedIn post or I want to do presentations of, this is a common path. You need to be data data driven, or how to enable AI and machine learning. And it's no secret; it's out there uh, that I publish and and I ask all the questions. So rather than say, "Oh no," the, if you want to find out about it, you must come to my consulting company. That's that's not how it should be. It should be like, "Here it is," but I'll help you train to do it. But the approach is out there to be read, and that's where I think your framework is great too. That people should collaborate and also be part of it because it helps you improve it and uh, to help it be adopted in a wider place but for others to also learn how to improve in different parts of that framework in their own organization to improve it and like a, like a spider web growing, growing. Yeah, I love how you, uh, you summarized it. The five pillars around it, you still have your fun, having your fundamentals and working on your house actually. It's just yeah. building, it's working with people, it's having your assets in place, your human assets and, right. and, and enhancing your and enriching your data to be uh, resilient and to, uh, to, to yeah. work for future solutions. So thank you, John. Yeah. I just uh, really love our conversation. We'll talk to you soon. Excellent. It's been great. Thanks, Marlene. It's, uh, and thanks for, like I say, providing the, uh, this for listeners. I think uh, they're going to get a lot out of the, this from uh, not just the uh, the framework, but also what we're sharing. I think uh, the more podcasts you do, uh, the people encourage uh, to listen as well as uh, to spread the word so we all uh, can share more open knowledge and also improve uh, not just with data, but uh, in new ventures like yourself. So uh, great work, Marlene. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to the podcast Consultancy Elite. For information, follow us at m2advisory.nl and Instagram at m2advisory. Send us an email or DM for further assistance.